invite you to open up to Revelation 21. It's almost over. We're almost to the end. We are in the book of Revelation to the part in which we all agree everything comes back together from, from different views or interpretations of the book of Revelation because this is a part where we all live happily ever after. And it's described a number of ways as we work our way through chapter 21 and into chapter 22. And so we want to hopefully be able to see and understand those illustrations that God's providing. What is occurring is the end of chaos, the end of evil, the end of all those things that we really can't fathom because we've never experienced uh, an, a, a reality without those things in existence. But when we look at the descriptions that John gives us in chapter 21 and 22, that's what it's all about. That's what it all refers to. And tonight, specifically, we're going to spend a lot of time looking at the heavenly city or the new Jerusalem. So, we'll pick it up. Revelation 21, verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, and he spoke to me, saying, Come, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain. He showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like the most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, at the, and at the twelve gates, angels, and on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. And the city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, twelve thousand stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measurement, which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives us light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And they will bring into the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light, nor lamp, nor sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And we live happily ever after. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. And I pray as we come to it, God, that you would just help us to have eyes to see, that we understand the message that you're giving us. God, that we would take it and apply it in our lives, that this is uh, this great hope that you have given us. The end of chaos, the end of evil, the end of all the things that we've struggled against throughout our lives. God, the fulfillment of your perfect plan, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had brought to a reality, the mountain of God, the kingdom of God filling the whole earth. Lord, we just give you praise. We ask your blessing on this night as we look to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we start, I just want to back up a little bit. We'll take a look at verse 9 in just a second, and we'll take a look at the New Jerusalem. But I want you to kind of get a mindset for what's going on. We have the beginning of creation, right? We have God creating the heavens and the earth, right? Everybody remember Genesis chapter 1? The Lord created the heavens and the earth. And so as the Lord puts together this creation... One of the things that we recognize through the creation account is that there was one place on all of earth where everything was perfect. You remember what that place was called? Eden. And that's where God, that was God's garden on earth. So earth is very good. God makes Eden perfect, puts it on earth, takes man, puts him in Eden, and says this is what the rest of the earth can be like. Just got one little test. Right? We know how that story goes, right? We know what happens. We know the fall of man. We know that the way to Eden is barred. And now we have uh, a, an earth that's more chaotic than was possible. And ultimately, what we see in the book of Revelation is God redeeming it all and getting Eden over the whole earth. We lost Eden in Genesis. We get it all in the end of Revelation. You guys tracking with me? So that which man had lost in the fall is restored at the end. So the whole story is bringing about the redemption of the fall of man. You guys see what I'm saying? The fall of man, we, we lose in, in Adam the opportunity for Eden and what God has perfected on earth. But we're moving toward God's perfect plan in, on earth redeemed and restored at the end of the book of Rev- at the end of the book of Revelation. So we want we want to see what what God is laying out for us and what God is showing us is the end of those things and the establishment of of much else and part of our really wrestling with and under coming to understand all that God is laying out for us is to understand the mindset for the people who are receiving the word. See, you and I we look at big city different. At least I do. Big city does not make me happy. My son moved to Boise. I can tell you this. I will never. 
I almost say, do you hear me, Lord? But I don't want to go that far. (laughs) I will never move to Boise. I don't like big city. I don't like traffic. In fact, Buell traffic is almost getting to be too much for me, I got to say. But I, I, (laughs) I want, or I really enjoy the country, and that's kind of my mindset. The woods, camping, those are, are glorious things to me. But when you go back to their time, what a city meant was stability. What a city meant was you had the things that you needed. What a city meant was you're protected from the chaos all around you, from all these other nations. What a city meant was that everything's going to be okay. So when God describes a new Jerusalem as the perfect city, big enough to contain every man, woman, and child who has ever been born on the face of the earth. It's a big place, right? It's it's not for lack of room that the city won't be filled. So when we look at those concepts, we want to understand what God is saying is, here is stability, here is peace, here is provision, here is everything you need, and all those things you're afraid of are all gone forever. So you want to really be able to, one of the times when we come to the Word and I say, look, we don't want to be, we don't want to over-literalize what's going on. What we want to do is understand the purpose. What's the, what's the point behind the illustrations He's given us? Put ourselves in that mindset and, and begin to understand that what God is saying is perfect security, perfect peace, perfect purity, Everything that you've ever not had is gone, and everything that you need is with you. It's green hills and still water forever. Right now, green hills and still water can be dangerous because we start to lose sight of God, but we won't lose sight of God. Why? Because He's right there. Right there with us, right there beside us. So let's take a look. In verse 9, we have the invitation, come see the new Jerusalem. Look, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues spoke to me and said, come and I'll show you the bride. So keep in mind, what are we, what is being shown us? Is it, is it all about this city? Is it, is it, and maybe, maybe, maybe the Borg is going to come down because this is a perfect cube described hanging out of heaven. Maybe that's what the city's going to look like. Like, I don't know if you got any, nobody Star Trek fans. I say Borg and everybody looks at me like, what are you talking about? Okay, so, so I won't, I won't do, use the Borg example because that's not working. There's three people who get the Borg thing. So it's a, it's a basically a giant cube. Okay. Giant. That's what's being described here. But what does he say in verse nine? He says, come and I will show you who? The bride. Who's the bride of Christ? The church, right? The believers. So he says, I'm going to show you the believers. And then the next thing that's described is what? A city, right? So keep in mind, what is it? What is the message God is trying to give to John to encourage believers in their time? What's he trying to tell them? What's he trying to lay out for them? What is he trying so that we can see it? Because look, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, listen to what he, what he told us. Let us rejoice and exalt. And give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. So in chapter 19, we saw the wedding. Remember the marriage supper of the Lamb? The wedding. Now, when a man and woman are joined together on earth, how long does God say that 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 relationship lasts? Okay, so you think it will be less in heaven? Now, 
Secondarily, does anybody die in heaven? Oh, so that sounds like a forever union, right? And it's a union with who? Believers in who? Jesus. So will there ever be a day we don't know where Jesus is? We don't get to see Jesus? We've, we've, most of us have lived our life here without seeing his face, without looking into his eyes. But there will be a day when you will be with him forever. That's what the Bible describes. And the picture is the union of husband and wife. You'll be united with Christ in such a way that you'll never be apart from him again. There will never be that parting. So this is what he's talking about. In verse 8 of Revelation 19, it said it was granted to her to clothe herself. What are we supposed to be clothed in? Matthew 22 tells the parable of the kingdom. You guys remember? The king sent out invitations to a wedding feast. Come to the wedding feast. What did you have to put on? You had to put on a wedding garment, right? So it says it's granted to her to clothe herself. What do we clothe ourselves in? Christ, right? We're to be clothed in Christ. Whose righteousness saves us? Mine or his? Jesus. So I got to be clothed in him. Can't be clothed on my own. For the fine linen is the righteous deed of the saints. Everything we do that we accomplish in Christ, we accomplish through him, right? Every good thing I do, I do through Christ. Every lousy thing I do, I do through me. So we get the delineation a little bit, right? So we have this announcement of the angel. Come see the bride. Look at Revelation 21.10. And he carried me away in a spirit to a great high mountain. Now, always described in, the, in their day was this realm where God lived was always described as being on a mountain. And when we think about the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, well, how did that dream work? He had all the kingdoms of men, you remember? Symbolized by the statue, right? Always degrading, always getting worse and worse and worse. Until one day a stone from heaven not cut out with hands, would strike that statue at its feet. And what happens to it? It's obliterated, right? Turns into dust. What happens to the stone? Becomes a mountain that does what? Fills the whole earth. What is that mountain? The kingdom of God. So when it says we go to a great high mountain, he's showing them the kingdom. He's saying, look, here it is. What Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about, what we've been looking for, the kingdom of God. And it doesn't just fill a corner. It's not just Eden, a garden somewhere in creation. It's everywhere. Let me show you the great mountain, the kingdom. So they go to see this great mountain, the high mountain, and he showed me the holy city of Jerusalem. Now, who's this holy city of Jerusalem? I will show you who? The bride, right? I'm going to show you the bride. I'm going to show you the, the wife of the lamb. Marriage supper is over. It's going to be described as this beautiful city coming down out of heaven from God. So whose city is it? It's God's city, right? It says coming from who? From God, right? We already said, every. how many good things come from God? All of them. So everything that comes from God, we have this good thing. So here we have the city coming down from God. What's it look like? Verse 11, it says, it has the glory of God. It has the glory of God. Now, who lives inside of each of us? Right, we have the Holy Spirit. Jesus takes residence within us. And we become, this, like the scriptures describe, as little lights, right? Reflecting reflecting the glory of God. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? So I'm supposed to reflect God's glory. Now, now I see through a glass dimly. But one day, how am I going to see? Face to face, right? Clear, like I'm not looking through a dark glass anymore. And I'm going to see Jesus like He is. And He's going to 
restore me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be what he always wanted me to be. I'm gonna be the perfect version of myself. And so, you have this whole city filled with millions of people who are all believers in Christ, and they're all reflecting the glory of God. That's what he's describing, man. This city's gonna shine like a light on a hill. Just gonna shine. Because the glory of God is in it. It's radiance, the way it radiates. Now, I, I just guess you guys got to see the, the, the idea of light shining through a prism. Right? You see, I have all these different colors of light. Like, like, like if you had light shining through a diamond, right? You can see all these the beautiful colors. Well, same, same thing here. You have the radiance of this most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Maybe, maybe it's a diamond, maybe not. Maybe something else. doesn't make any difference. But what we hear described... Is like light coming through a prism being being reflected and refracted in all the different colors that are a part of the prism of light that are shining from the city. Because the reality is, guys, in the body of Christ, the body of Christ is diverse. Everybody's not the same. We're not all blue, we're not all purple, we're not all green, but we're all different colors. We're all different. We're, we're made, God is... Just look at his creation. Every animal doesn't look the same, does it? Some animals are really trippy looking, aren't they? You come to it like they always say, you come to the platypus and you think God had a bunch of leftover parts and you just put them all together. I don't know, but I, but I do know that what I see in creation is a very creative God. And a very creative God who has designed us and put us together that we're not supposed to be like everybody else. And when it's no longer seeing through a glass darkly, and when we are at our zenith, which is when we're perfected in Christ, all those colors will be perfect. Now sometimes we're a little off color sometimes, right? But then, uh, it won't be that way. Then it'll be beautiful. It'll be this beautiful, glowing, uh, uh, like, a, like light shining through a prism coming from the city. The new Jerusalem representing the bride of Christ coming from God out of heaven. And then what do we see? What do we see about the structure of the city? Look at verse 12. It had a great high wall. Now people ask me all the time, why does it need a wall? Well, there's no bad people. What do we need a wall for? Keep in mind, what did we talk about in the beginning? What did a city speak? Safety, your protection, your all this all the good think of all the good things that they would have heard when they heard a wall security we, one of the things we want in our relationships with one another is the ability to feel secure meaning if you really knew who i am you're, you're you'd still be okay that to me that's security that's what husband and wife are always looking for because if there's anybody who knows the real me kathy knows the real me all the little fake stuff that that I glow on Sunday and all that stuff, that's, that's not real. There's no, Rusty says he knows it too. So, but the security is when you can be who you, who you really are, you know, not perfect, but you can be who you are, but, but you know that your friends are still your friends, even though it's not, it's not perfect. It's not perfect. And when we look at this, the scripture, when we look at this description of the city, we want to understand there's security. That's what he's saying. You're secure. I want you. I'm not going to not want you anymore. I'm not going to get 20 years down the line. God's going to get 20 years down the line and say, you know what? I finally know what you're really like, and I don't want you now. So the city having a wall is talking about that idea. We're secure. We're together with God. It's okay. 
It's okay. We are now who we are fully and completely in Christ. It has 12 gates. 12 gates is where the pearly gates come from, right? And at the gates, 12 angels. Oh, notice it didn't say St. Peter. Not sure where St. Peter at the pearly gates comes from. But there's at least angels there. And on the gates and names of the 12 tribes of the who? Sons of Israel. Now, God's going to figure this out. You say, what do you mean? Well, there's at least 13 tribes. And there's only 12 gates. Well, you think maybe I'm getting a little too literal? What if I said the gates are the way through which we entered into a relationship with the Holy God? And the way we all enter into a relationship, we all owe a debt of thanks to the nation of Israel. And so to honor the nation of Israel... The concept is that the way we came, the way we entered into a relationship with Christ, who is, by the way, Jewish, right? The way we entered into that relationship was through the 12 tribes of Israel. They paved the way, if you will. And so how was that symbolized for us? The 12 gates. The 12 gates in this city, the way that all, that all glows with all these perfected people, these 12 gates are, are symbols of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, that's not the only problem. Look, there's more. But maybe we'll get there in a minute. And on the east three gates, on the north three gates, south three gates, west three gates, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles. Which 12? Oh, this is right where people will go, oh, you know, the 12th one's Paul. Let's just settle this. Really? Because I know what the Bible says. The Bible says they picked another filler, didn't it? And the Bible specifically says, he became one of the twelve. And then later on, you got Paul coming on, who's also an apostle. So then we go, oh my God, do you think maybe we're being too over literal? The twelve foundations, what is he telling us? What was the foundation of salvation? Who did it come through? Yeah, Jesus Christ is going to bring that foundation. Now, who did he use? The apostles, right? He used the 12 apostles who, who preached on the, the first message when 3,000 souls were saved, when 5,000 souls were saved. Who was that? It was the apostles. Who wrote the Bible so that many throughout the generations could get saved? Who did that? The apostles. So what's the foundation upon which we enter in? We come through the gates giving, giving honor, if you will, to the nation of Israel. We come through from the from the 12 tribes, but what we're walking on, the foundation we're walking on, was laid by the apostles. And no matter how many there are, they were always called the 12. Just like no matter how many tribes there were, they were always called the 12. He never called them the 13 tribes. And it gets really crazy if you do Ephraim, Manasseh, and Joseph, because now you get all kinds of too many. So, what is the point? We have a wall, we have, we have security, we have safety, we have all those good things that we think about when we think about a structure together. And the way we got in was through the nation of Israel, and the foundation upon which we stand through the word of God is the, is the work of the apostles. Everybody tracking with me so far? Okay, so as we work our way through, I, I just want you to know, the scripture has talked about this before. In Ezekiel chapter 48, uh, I won't have time to go there, so... Uh, I'm just going to tell you, at 48, 30 to 34, you have the same description of the holy city. Down to the gates. 
same gates. And then it specifically tells you which gates belong to which tribes and which direction of the city. So Ezekiel the prophet, seeing this, describes it. In Acts 1.13 it says, And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. We have the eleven and what do they do? They pick number 12. <laughs> uh, oh my goodness. So we see, we see them talking about, hey, here's the group. Here's the groups coming together. But then, let's, as we look at the city, the beauty of the city, the light emanating from the city, the, the means through which we enter the city, the things on which we stand in the city, all of those things, I think, are symbolic. Now, that, does that mean it's not a literal city? No, I believe it's a literal city. It's a real place where we're going to dwell. We're not just floating around in space somewhere. But what's the symbolism of the city? What is he, who's he honoring? Who's he, who's he shining light on? Look at the sacrifices of those who have gone before us. Now look at the size of the city. Verse 15. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. City lies four square. That's, that's where four square church comes from. Right? Its length the same as its width. He measured the city with a rod 12,000 stadia. Does that help anybody? Oh, good. I'm glad you settled that. 12,000 stadia. So that makes it easier. 12,000 furlongs. Does that help? Oh, no. Not really. Thanks, though. How about this? 1,500 miles cubed. That's the size of the city. Now, keep in mind, when we talk about the city, you're not living in square area. You're living in cubed area. So roughly, just so you get an idea of scope, if you were to make the moon a cube and drop it out of heaven to the earth, that'd roughly be the size of the New Jerusalem. Which, depending on who works the formula, is enough for every man, woman, and child who has ever lived to have a square mile in the New Jerusalem. So, what's the point? It's big enough. Is there enough room for everybody? Yeah, trust me, a square mile... Even my wife can't feel that with all the decorations she got. So the square mile. So, hey, look, we've got a big, big place. And the wall, same thing. The wall, the size of the wall is 216 feet. Look what it says. He measured the city, 12,000 stadia, length, width, height, cubed, right? He measured the wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is the same as an angel. I'm so glad he straightened that out for me. Because I was wondering, you know, how big is an angelic cubit? Apparently the same size as a human cubit. Which would make sense, wouldn't it? Because the Bible says something about be careful to entertain strangers. For some of you have entertained angels, how? Unaware. Oh, interesting, right? Interesting, for sure, for sure. So, anyways, we look at it. What is that? 216 feet. So it's a big wall. Now, again, I want you to go back to them. Because for them, the security of the city directly related to the size of the wall. Remember Jericho? And the people standing on Jericho looking down at Jews going, neener, 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 we got a big wall and you can't get in. Right? And apart from God doing a miracle, were they going to get in? No. And just so we can settle this a little bit easier, even Babylon had this huge wall around Babylon. And except for Babylonians being dumb, nobody ever got in there either. 
But they were all thinking nobody can get in, so they fall asleep. And a guy diverts the water, the river, and now this big hole where the water used to go through is perfect size for the army to come in. Well, they're all partying, saying nobody can get us. Uh, those are historic realities. So we look at it and so we say, okay, this is, this is what it relates to. The bigger the wall, the more secure. The bigger the wall, the more safe. And what's God trying to tell us? You're with me. There's never nothing to be afraid of now. You got the biggest wall of anybody. You got the biggest city of anybody. You got the most safety of anybody. Anything you've ever experienced, it's all here. And keep in mind, the people that John's writing to are suffering persecution and getting everything taken away from them. And they're like, oh, wow, what, what is, what are we, what's our future like? So God said, your future is really good. It's really good. You'll be safe. You'll be secure. You're going to have enough room. I got room for you. Jesus said, right? In my father's house are many mansions. The idea is not an individual, it's apartments. That's the picture that, that, that brought them security. Yeah, I got room for you. I got a place for you. And that's the news that he's given out. Well, look at the stones of the city. The walls built of jasper, while the city was pure gold. So it's interesting, isn't it, that the, the things we value most are the things they value least there. Oh, I mean, come on. How many of us would build a wall out of gold or a street? A pavement in heaven, pavement, blacktop is gold. Kind of changes our view of things a little bit, doesn't it? Saying, man, yeah, we got all this stuff laying around. Let's use it. Let's use it. It's going to be beautiful. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. Every kind. They're using all this. What's he saying? There's Wealth doesn't matter anymore. Wealth doesn't matter. There's no such thing as the poor and the rich. There is only the saved. And all this stuff we used to pile up in our saves, we use it to build now. Yeah. What you building? A shed. Oh, what you going to build your shed out of? Diamonds. <laughs> They're all over the place, so we're just going to use Diamonds. That's what he's telling us, what he's laying out for us. Look, the first was Jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst, all of these beautiful things. Just building materials now. Just things to use for building. The twelve gates are made of a pearl. Now, these are big gates, guys. Have you ever been to Jerusalem? So those of you who went with me to Jerusalem, those aren't little gates. So they're bigger than this, right? So people ask me, well, where did they get them pearls? Well, he's God. He don't need an oyster to make a pearl. <laughs> it wasn't like God made an oyster and then got surprised because they had a little, you know, piece of sand in their mouth and a pearl came out. Yeah, that didn't surprise him. What surprises him is we go, wow, look at these cool pearls. And he's like, man, you ain't seen nothing yet. I make big ones. I make big ones. And we're going to use, that's what we're going to use for our, our gates. Yeah, was, we just go out here. We got a chain link. Yeah, just imagine. We make our chain link out of pearls now. That's what he's telling us. This, this crazy keeping up with the Jones is over. 
Yeah, we're all, we will have all arrived. We will have all arrived, this beautiful, beautiful place. The street of the city, pure gold, like transparent glass. So, what makes the city so wonderful? Look at the next verse, verse 22. Then I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty. We already know that, right? What's the temple of God now? Yeah, you know that the Bible tells the First Corinthians that we individually are the temple of God, and we corporately are the temple of God. Sometimes you hear people say, well, we're two or three are gathered, there's the Lord in his midst. Well, yes and no. Where one is gathered, there's the Lord in the midst, unless you think God left you. But that Jesus said something about that, didn't he? Say what he say. When will he leave us? Never. Never? Okay, then he's not gone. So if there's one of us in a room, the Lord's here with us, right? Where the Bible says two or three are gathered, it's talking about judgment. Get two or three of you together, and I'll speak through the two or three of you to help you understand the direction, what to do, where to go. Is this what's wrong with this person? Where do we hang them? Whatever. So when we, sorry, that's. <laughs> but if you look it up, that's what you're going to find. So the idea, the idea here is the place of worship is with the Lord Himself. We don't go to a building, we're going to have him. And him. I don't need no building. I don't need no symbol. I don't need none of that stuff because he's right there. And the beauty is, the Bible teaches us that God is how many places at once? Oh, so I'm not going to have to go very far, am I? I'll be able to worship the Lord right where I'm at because he's with me. That's pretty amazing. No temple. God is there in our midst. The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. Father, Son, Spirit, united and available for you and I to be a part of. The presence of the Lord will eliminate the need for sun and moon. Look what it says. <clears throat> city doesn't need the sun or the moon because the glory of God gives it light. So you get the light of God, you get the light of the Lamb, and you get the light emanating from all the people who are reflecting and refracting the glory of God in their lives. So it's going to be a bright place. Now, does that mean we're never going to be able to find any shade? What if it's a hot day? No, it's not what he's talking about, is it? It's not going to hurt our eyes because it's going to be so bright. What is he saying? He's saying there's no shadows. There's no dark corners. There's no place from which evil can spring. Everything will be light. No darkness at all. In you and me, I have a hard time even fathoming that in my own self. In my own mind that there will be no dark thoughts. There will be no darkness inside. No, it's all gone. We don't, there are no dark corners. I love the reality of what God is telling us because the presence of the Lord drives it all away. It's all gone. It's all gone. So, and then we see God's ultimate purpose fulfilled. Look at verse 24. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will <clears throat> bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Oh, well, so then we come to this. We go, okay, so where did all these nations come from, and how's that all going to happen? Okay, maybe we're being too literal again. What is he saying? Yeah, and there's no, there's no bad guy anymore. There's no bad place. There's no nation that's just not willing to come and be a part. Everybody is a part. Everybody wants to bring their honor and glory to God. The king to the lowly man. 
everybody who's a part of this creation, a part of that the final creation, the final kingdom of God, everybody is, is going to be there. They don't have to close the gates. In a minute we're going to see all these things are outside. I'll explain that in a moment. But they don't got to close the gates. Why? Because there's nothing bad out there. There's not a time when you can't come in anymore. Oh, it's Thursday. New Jerusalem's closed. I won't be able to get in there till Monday when it's open. No. It's always open. It's always access to go. There's no night. When did all the bad things happen? Nighttime. What does the Bible say? Those of you who want to sin, what do you, when do you want to do it? At night, in the dark, when you think nobody can see you. God sees everything, though, huh? So we're in the presence of God. There is no night. There's no shadow. There's no hidey place. There's no place where we have to worry about evil springing. There's none of that stuff. Every place on the earth. In creation, there was Eden. And then all of creation was a little bit wild, but it could be tamed by Adam and Eve if they had gone forward with what God's purpose was and take the whole world. But what happened? Man fell. Eden left and chaos still reigned, right? And now man's got to work by the sweat of his brow to tame all of that space and all those places. And we keep moving forward and we have all this stuff going on. But one day, all Eden. You guys tracking with me? All Eden. There's nobody outside. All under God's total redemption. Isaiah 60.11 says this, Your gates shall be open continually, day and night. They won't be shut. Why? That people may bring into you the wealth of the nations, and that their kingdoms are, and their kings lead the procession. What's the idea? He's telling us the whole earth is filled with the glory of God. All of it. It's a beautiful place, beautiful time. <clears throat> but look at verse 27. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So that's why the gates don't have to be closed. There's nothing evil around. There's nobody left to tell a lie. None of that stuff. It's all gone. It's all redeemed. It's all purged. It's all perfected. It's all purified. Why? Because Jesus Christ has redeemed his blood has made us, washed us, white as snow. Yeah, it doesn't mean that there's those people out there and only the saved people are in the city. No, that's not what it means. It means they're not here, period. It's gone. It's over. None of that exists. None of that is around. None of that is even a part of or a thought of our lives. It's the total elimination of every part or piece of evil and chaos. All over. All gone. Never coming again. Never going to pop up because there was one little dark piece of evil left in a corner somewhere. And, and it grew and then we have more chaos happening. Nope. It's all done. It's all gone. Then we come to chapter 22. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life. With twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month, the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nation. So what's going on here? Okay, well, what's central to this, this uh, worldwide Eden? What's central to it? The water of life. What did Jesus say? If any of you is thirsty, come to me, and what will he give you? 
Living water. Water of life. That's the whole point. He said, out of you will flow torrents of living water. Where's all this water flowing from? The throne of God and from the Lamb. Right down the middle of the street. What's it saying? Right in the middle of it all. Right in the middle of everything is the water of life. What does that mean? You're not thirsty no more. Kind of hard to be thirsty if you're right camp near the river of life. It's kind of hard not to have an abundant life if you're camped right next to the river of life. It's kind of hard not to have it if you're right next to the river of life on both sides of the river is what? The tree of life. What's it got? Twelve different kinds of fruit. Why? Why does it say there's different kinds of fruit? You're never going to get tired of eating fruit. I went to Peru once. I could eat a different fruit every day. The 21 days I was in Peru and never eat the same fruit twice. Because God's got a lot of diversity, don't he? Different kind of fruit. Every one of the 12 months, there's diversity. There's things that are changing, things that are happening. And this fruit, what happens when you eat the, the fruit of the tree of life? How long you live? What happens if you drink the water of life? How long you live? Forever. What's he trying to tell us? Yeah. Remember the last enemy that was destroyed was which? Death. There no more death. Because everywhere you look, something's alive. The tree alive, the water alive. You're not thirsty because you got the water. You're not hungry, you got the tree. Everything you need is right there in the middle of it all. In the middle. Not over there on a really high mountain. You got to trudge through the valley of the shadow of death to get to. It's right in the middle of the street. Right in the middle of the street of the city, right in the middle of the city, this river of water, the water of life. Jesus said to the woman at the well, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give you will never thirst again. And the water that I give you will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. No, I'm not making it up. It's right there in the book. It's pretty cool. On the last day of the feast in John 7, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. And whoever believes in me, like the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Revelation twenty two seventeen says, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Oh, that's us! Did you know you were talking and the Bible wrote it down? The Spirit and the Bride say, Who's the Bride? The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Spirit and the Bride say, Come. The one who hears, Come. Come and take of the water of life free. No price. God's provision comes out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In Psalm 46, 4, it says, There is a river whose streams will make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Psalm 46, 4, what's he talking about? The river, the river of the water of life flowing through the middle of the city. Everybody has what they need. They're never going to be thirsty again. You're not going to sit around and go, Man, I'm just really hungry and thirsty for more of the Lord. Why? Why? Because he's in the midst of you. 
It's always going to be there. He's always going to be in the middle of the street and on either side. In Ezekiel 47, 12, it says, And on the banks, on both sides of the river, there will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither. Their fruit will not fail. But they will bear fresh fruit every month. Sound familiar? Because the water for them flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for healing. That's, you're not, they're no, how you get sick if the tree on both sides of the river has leaves that heal you? Well, we're probably going to need them. Joe's saying, come here, Mom. The, the tree, the leaves, do I get sick? If the, if the leaves are for healing, that must mean I get sick. No, what's being signified? What is he telling us? Your healing is in the middle of everything. It's right there. The living water is right there. The presence of God is right there. Everything you need is right there in the middle of this city. You're not going to have to go off somewhere. You're not going to have to go discover something someplace else. It's all right here. Everything that you need. The total productivity of the tree of life. The purpose of the leaves. Healing the nations. God's going to unify everybody there. We're all going to be unified in one place. Eden. That perfect city of God. What he intended, all of creation. That's where all of creation is moving. We're all going to get there. We're all going to see it. So what is our involvement? Last couple of verses, let's take a look. The involvement of believers in eternity. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face. I like that. And His name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more, no dark place. They don't need to light a lamp or sun, for the Lord God is their light, and they will reign for how long? Forever and ever. So there's a purpose. That's what's, what that sentence means. They're going to reign. There's something we do for God in all of the cosmos. Some purpose for which He has us there. Something that we fulfill for the Lord. We're going to worship Him. But worship doesn't mean we're sitting around in a circle singing Kumbaya for eternity. Worship is how you live your life. And you're going to live your life out as worship for God. Fulfilling a purpose, reigning with Him. For how long? Forever and ever. That's a long time, right? We're going to rule. We're going to reign with Him. Here's what Paul told us in Colossians chapter 3. He says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Why do he say that? Because God created man to accomplish things. God didn't make us just to sit around and have Twinkies all day. Although, some days, that's a good thing. But He made us for a purpose. And everyone on the face of the earth is happiest when they're fulfilling their purpose. When they are living for what they were created for. And God's going to show us what that is. We'll see it. And we will see His face. These eyes. That's what Job said. In my flesh, I will see God. These eyes, and not another's. I'll see Him. <clears throat> 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him like He is. Now God has to veil his glory, right? He has to put Moses in a corner and hide his hand and just let a little of the afterglow go by. On that day, no, you get to see it all. You get to see him. 
all his glory, everything that he is. We will see his face. And when it says his name's written on our foreheads, what does that say? We're, we belong to him. Right? Just like Woody having the, what was his name? Andy. I have to ask you guys that every time, huh? Having Andy's name written on his boot. What did it say? I belong to Andy. I belong to God. And, well, we're going to supervise the universe together with God. Whatever he has for us. It says in 2 Timothy 2.12, If we endure, we will reign with him. If we endure, we'll reign with him. In, in Revelation 5.10, it says, You have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall... What's the next word? Reign on the earth. The earth is not a planet, by the way. The earth is all of creation, the cosmos, the world. They're going to reign in the cosmos. God created a big place. And I don't even think we fully understand and recognize all the things that God will have or can have or, or has established for us to do. But I do know this. Our God is a God of purpose. He does things on purpose. He made us the way he made us on purpose. One of the, I, I seen a movie, I don't, I don't even know if I remember the end of it, or the, the name of it anymore, it was some robot movie, but it illustrated a point. The robot, you guys remember, I, Robot, I think, the robot had thicker metal. And he said, I think my creator made me with thicker skin so I could grab this thing and save the world. Well, your creator made you just like you are. And it wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mistake. It's for a purpose. And when we're with him, we're going to fulfill it together with him forever. Doesn't it sound like a good place to be? To live happily ever after? Man, exciting times. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.